0: Asking the right questions will unlock your best life. They are the keys to enjoying more clarity, passion, balance, and confidence. Hi, I'm Todd Parker.
1: And I'm Bridget Sampson. We're certified executive and life coaches, communication professors, trainers, consultants,
0: and most importantly, parents we're also dear friends who love diving into those deep conversations about life relationships family and careers
1: all things about being a curious and compassionate human on this planet so please
0: join us and we know you'll find something valuable that resonates with wherever you are on your journey Welcome back. This is the Right Questions podcast, episode 12. I am Todd Parker. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, Bridget Sampson. And Bridget, what's going on today? How are you?
1: I'm great. And I'm really excited to meet and chat with Connor today. We are very passionate about a lot of the same things. So I'll leave it to you, Todd, to introduce him. But I'm just very, very happy. And thank you, Connor, for being with us.
0: Yeah, so without further ado, I'm going to get right to it. We're here today to, as we always do, try to offer something of great value to you, our listener, and something that you can not just chew on and think about, a question to hopefully enhance your life, but also some challenges and some maybe exercises for you to try to put into practice the things that we're talking about, and specifically the ideas we're offering you today. So, on the podcast today, we have Mr. Connor Swenson. Yeah, I'm just going to give a round of applause hey. for Connor. Yeah, Connor. welcome, Connor. Thank How you doing, Connor?
2: You. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. No, we, we, we can't thank you enough for making time for us. Well, Connor's coming to us straight out of London, right? You're representing London today. Uh, We're on the west coast of California, so of the United States. So we're we're spread apart. How are things out there, Connor? Because we're finally getting some rain here.
2: It is a very London day today. Bit gray, bit rainy as it's been. We've had a, a little bit of sunshine the last few weeks to tease us into the spring. But yeah, things are overall okay, trending towards the positive, I think, this time of the year.
0: Nice, nice, fantastic. Well, uh little background on how Connor and I know each other. uh, we bumped into each other down in Brazil. We had I actually had the pleasure of learning so much from Connor at a off site retreat that we were both co facilitating and in fact, Connor, I still use some of the things that you taught me today. Uh, I use some of the breathing techniques i I share them with others, but we'll we'll get to all that. It was a great time, and so it was weird, like we. I guess you think things run through your, your mind. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, what was one of the last things that I did? You know, we call them the before times. What was one of the last things that happened? And I was spending time with Connor down in Brazil. So I thought it only fitting to catch up. And when we, when we were chatting the other day, we literally said we got to hit pause on this conversation and just bring it on the podcast and have a conversation about it because Connor is really into, he's been researching and he's been creating and offering facilitating courses that really are an intersection between things that we can really benefit from, which is um, the intersection of mindfulness and productivity. So I'm going to give you the question for the day, and then I'm going to set up who Connor is so that he can break down where this is all coming from. But so the question today is, how can I or how can specifically you, how can we practice mindful productivity, but I want to break this down for you. So what is mindful productivity and how can you, how can we work towards it? How can we practice it? How can we embody it? And how can we experience all the benefits of mindful productivity in our lives? So here's where Connor's coming from. All right. He started off, you know, back in the day at this company, you may know of them called Google. And he was doing great things as a community leader in this organization and really came from the ground up. He rose through uh, partnerships and marketing, went through to become a global marketing manager for Google as well. I shouldn't say global. I'm sorry. I messed that up, Connor. It was E-M-E-A. Can you tell us, what does e- E-M-E-A stand for?
2: <laughs> I know. but uh, For those with not as many acronyms as they use at Google, that stands for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Google divides the world, like many big companies, into three neat boxes of the Americas, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and then APAC. So it's just a just a real cohesive unit of countries, very similar, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, you know. But That's how the uh, corporations do it, just put it all into one. I had a great experience, very, uh, very fond memories of that time.
0: Yeah, and so I wanted to make sure I got that right. So in coming up through this company, which is a company that certainly is innovative, certainly productive, but certainly has to balance these very different but interconnected and intimately intertwined worlds. I'm imagining that, Connor, that you were kind of experiencing this world. You became a Search Inside Yourself certified instructor, which is this amazing program that you know, Google offers. And you've been since gone out on your own and created this as an entrepreneur and been offering not just this make time course, but now ideas around productivity, around mindfulness, around self-care, around self development. And we're really interested now to hear how did this journey of being with one of like the biggest companies in the world with all these focus, how did that transition you now to where we find ourselves today trying to answer this question about mindfulness and productivity? Break it down for us, Connor.
2: Thank you for the the introduction. I appreciate it. And the yeah the journey, it's like looking back, I can connect some dots, but going through the process, as many of us know, it's never so... Linear or neat in actuality, but yeah, I started with Google in New York and transitioned to San Francisco, then London, and it kind of started a few years into my journey at Google. Like I think everyone else that lands at that company, it's filled with overachieving, ambitious, very passionate, well meaning people. And I think the tendency when you find yourself surrounded by people like that is just to to really push yourself, right? And there's a healthy I think, a healthy aspect to that. So when I joined Google, I was I was constantly trying to, to push myself to improve and to grow. And part of that, I think I just fell into this pattern of reacting and saying yes to pretty much everything that came my way. I think this can be a default that a lot of us take, and especially in large organizations, but often in life too, is that people ask things of us and there's lots of requests coming in, lots of emails, lots of meetings. And At first, I think it worked out quite well, right? You get, I was feeling like I was making an impact and I was pleasing people and and keeping people happy. But after some time, I realized I just became extremely busy. I was just running around a million directions at once, not really pushing forward on the things that mattered most to me. And then behind that, there was this lurking sense of of just fatigue and, and exhaustion that was setting in. I think. Anyone who works at a company where the internet is involved, which I hesitate is about, you know, every business today probably feels that same push, right? It's like, you just are constantly dealing with so much input and Google's the same. And Google was growing rapidly. You know, when I joined, it was 50,000. And when I left, it was hundred thousand. It's almost unimaginable. And so I just started to question if the way I was working was really sustainable and starting to slow down a little bit and to ask myself you know what what would it look like to approach work in a different way where i'm not running around like chicken with its head cut off and working longer nights extra weekends because i just found that that was draining my brain power and that's kind of where this where this journey to what i what i bring now we call mindful productivity sort of began was just trying to figure out on a personal level how could i sustain this and we can get into it in a second here, but I think two of the big pieces are one is rethinking the definition of productivity. I think that's a lot of what I help people to think about is moving away from getting super efficient and optimizing and getting as much done, but slowing down, being more effective rather than efficient and doing more of the right things rather than just more things full stop. And then mindfulness really helped me. It, it, helped me to get more aligned with what was important and valuable to me, helped me to increase, you know, focus, concentration, helps as well to, to manage some stress and resilience. And I found that these two things were really important in different parts of my life. And by sort of combining them, I started to find a way that I could, you know, work and feel, feel yeah, productive. And like I was, I was contributing, I think that's important, but also not doing so at a, a deficit to my own mental, emotional and physical health. So that's kind of how it all came to be and I started teaching this within Google and as you mentioned I've left Google just over a year ago to bring this to organizations around the world. I think it's a it's a huge problem we're facing and I'm happy to be trying to offer some ideas on how we can solve it.
0: Well, you know, it strikes me you just hit on it and maybe you could unpack a little bit more of that for us that problem because I see it twofold, right? There's certainly an organizational element that would speak to, you know, money and profits, right? Profitability. And there's this human part of it, right? There's the people who are part of the organization and the problem they face as well. And so, you know, in doing my own research about this topic, I was struck by this idea that, you know, productivity is often when we research it it's just focused on money it's like oh well, we're losing I think I saw this at like you know a trillion dollars a year." because of depression and stress on, right. And so that's very important from an organizational standpoint. So anyone listening saying, oh my gosh, you know, we're not being that productive. This is super important to bring in, right. And, and have, but there's another aspect. And I think Connor, that's the part that you're really focused on, which is the personal, the, the human aspect of it for the person and how they can manage themselves within it. So if you could like could you break down the problem a little bit more for us of what you see the person in the organization facing like day to day, week to week?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean that's a a staggering statistic you mentioned as well, and I think those those types of statistics are helpful because they're they're waking up organizations to the economic benefit and and that I think is a huge motivator to recognize that wearing people down has a real bottom line cost, but it's also just bad hr to, to run people like that. So I think the problem is complex. I think one is that it's hard to measure output in the same way it was 50 or 100 years ago. So productivity in a traditional sense, it's very much measured as units in, units out. And in today's world, what we're responsible for is often much harder to measure and and therefore it becomes difficult for an employee in an organization to kind of show their value and so the default then is to doing lots of things to look really busy and so i think this is one one shift right is like organizations now are really needing creativity innovation people that can work across disciplines and bring unique approaches to challenges right so that's kind of that's i think one piece that's dragging people down two is the you know, technology. I'm pro technology, right? I, I, I grew up my career within Google. You know, I've been absolutely loving the the global connectivity that technology has provided, especially in this last year. But it's really started to sever any sort of separation that people have between how their work looks and how their life looks, right? So that has been, I think, a huge shift as people start taking their work home on their smartphones. But then last year that was accelerated because. Yes, we're all working from home. Welcome to my spare bedroom slash office. So that's causing a huge issue for people as well. Is that the you used to be able to leave work at home and and so your well being, your social life, your ability to kind of disconnect wasn't so difficult to maintain, perhaps because you had a little bit more natural separation. And then I think the third thing, the third trend that's causing this problem is harder to kind of pinpoint and give a soundbite on but it has to do with this and maybe you know this term this VUCA world this is kind of talked about a little bit in the worlds of mindfulness emotional intelligence and VUCA came from the military and it, it stands for volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous and this was used to describe the conditions where conflict can break out okay now volatile is the world's volatile is it changing quickly Yes. Are things uncertain? More than they've ever been, right? We're uncertain about our our careers. We go back to work and we see our family. Are things complex? Yes, because many things are happening. Automation is happening. Jobs are harder to define. And is success ambiguous? Yes. And so this is actually causing, on a deeper human level, a lot of chronic stress, which is really, I think, challenging for people in their work lives because there's so much that they're dealing with on a human an emotional and a psychological level that the performance the productivity, those types of things are all hindered because these these forces are at play. So there's kind of a lot going on when you look at it. It's just, it's kind of this natural shift in how the economy is moving. It has to do with technology. It has to do with just the uncertainty and the complexity of the 21st century. And Probably other things that I'm, I'm missing here, but those are some of the main factors I think that are causing this, this problem. And I think listeners are going to know, like everyone here, everyone I talk to has some experience of fatigue and exhaustion, maybe so far to where it's burnout or, or a collapse of some sort. Depression in the UK, it's doubled year on year from last year to this year, one in five adults. There's a lot of these kind of symptoms that are coming around that are showing you there's some deep underlying challenges that we're facing at work and at life.
1: Well, I think our listeners will definitely be able to relate. And it's, you know, part of, Connor gave us some amazing articles. We can link them in the show notes, but you know, the statistics and the themes of the level of burnout that people are feeling and the, the challenges that people are facing, it's just, we're all in this together, you know, and I hope people feel a sense of that. And people like, Todd and you and myself as trainers, as entrepreneurs in the world, we're trying to figure out how to support people, how to best support people. And that's where my question comes in. If I can jump in and ask a question, because in the reading that you gave us, which I got a lot out of Connor, thank you so much. There seemed to be, I'm kind of moving into the solution, Todd. Is that okay <laughs> like to do? I, you're great with the structure. Yeah. yeah like,
0: let's We're there. We're there. People are like, no, they're like, oh my gosh! They say, we get we get it, we We're get it. Here. Like, yes, and, it's, and we need and so to relate.
1: <laughs> so, like, moving into the solutions, there seem to be these two themes of of what orgs need to do, organizations, and that's our world. It's like Todd and I are doing so much virtual training and professional development, and because of the stress level we feel, even though you can feel it, it you can feel it virtually, even though we can't be with people in person. We're now doing things we've never done before, like incorporating breathing exercises in all of the training we do, as Todd said. You know, one of the last clients said, you've got to incorporate play. So we sent out modeling clay kits to everybody so that they could play and create while we were doing virtual training. We're doing, we're loving, you know, being put in this position to be more creative. So, you know, there's this absolutely responsibility of organizations to provide support, to provide psych safety, psychological safety, to provide resources. You know, I was reading in your articles about, you know, one of the biggest things that people want is for their manager to be empathetic. But then my question is like okay but how much training are these managers getting? I'm we're coaching a lot of managers who are saying I'm not a therapist. I don't know how to help people through crisis. I want to, you know, but people are in trauma right now. How do our managers, you know, have the skills are they getting from their organizations the skills to support their teams? So there's this whole organizational level of how do we provide support? And then there's The question, how much is the individual's responsibility, right? There's sometimes, you know, I'm coaching people like, okay, let's talk about, are you meditating? Are you exercising? Are you eating healthy? But then sometimes those folks want to say, I'm trying to do these things, but I'm not getting enough support from my org. So I guess all that is to ask you, Connor, you know, how how do we look to our organizations to support their people and how much do we expect of individuals to practice self-care and take care of themselves so they don't get burned out?
2: Yeah. It's a big question. And I, the answer is that it, it has to be happening simultaneously at both ends. I think there's a big conversation happening around in the world of, of psychology and also in yeah, organizational psych and in organizational behavior of like, yeah, how how much of this is a problem with the culture of organizations and capitalism and and these types of things, these systemic things, and how much of it is a a personal problem. And I think, you know, the answer is is a little bit of both. So I think on an organizational level, there has to be some reckoning when you start to see that certain indicators of of employee wellness are are really sagging, right? And so I work with companies like one of the, the programs that was mentioned in the intro called Search Inside Yourself, That's a program that really teaches the skills of emotional intelligence with a really mindfulness-based curriculum. And last year, the the institute that kind of manages that program and certifies teachers like myself released a new program called Adapter Resilience. And we've been bringing that to organizations as a way to, to start having that conversation about, okay, what does it look like as a manager to create psychological safety, to practice empathy, to take care of yourself and your team? like i think managers and leaders are in need of this more than ever and it can be that cascading waterfall effect where if a manager is suffering and their well-being and their performance is is off like that just cascades to everybody else and at the same time i think we can all do something individually right there's you know there's this classic kind of like the circles of control right what can i control uh, what do i think i can control and what's outside of my control and I'm a big believer that there's, there are things, especially in our internal, you know, in our mindset, in the way that we approach problems in the way that we can kind of start to cultivate more inner resilience, uh, that work has to be done alone. And so when it comes, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't do practice, you know, resilience and meditation and mindfulness and other things in community, but ultimately those inner tools where you're going to build more stability, where you're going to build more grounding, where you're going to actually come to terms and face some of those difficult emotions, those are done sat down with your eyes closed or with a pen and a piece of paper by yourself. And you can cultivate a lot of inner strength and resilience that even though you know the storm is blowing high in your organization and it's very wavy, you can still find... Within yourself, that sense of of grounding and stability. So, I often, I mean, I work primarily my business is is with organizations and with teams. But when I do one to one things, I'm often, you know, people say, "I want my team to change. I want this to change." And every, we all want everything else to change, but we don't really want to change ourselves, right? <laughs> That's an old adage. So, I think when we start with ourselves and we cultivate these things internally, people start to notice, right? these also have these other benefits. They start to feel that. And I really believe that everybody is a leader. You don't need to be a manager or director. You don't need to have a title. Your Leadership is influence of others. And so if you're showing up to work and you're doing the work by yourself, if you're taking care, if you're exercising or eating well, if you're practicing some form of gratitude or spirituality, that is going to influence others and you'll lead. So It is tough. And I think we have to call out that there are enormous systemic forces at play and from the US, from Minnesota originally. And a lot of these were brought to light last year in the BLM movement. We're having a huge reckoning here in the UK over women's safety. And and there's a lot of systemic factors that make it easier for some to practice these things by themselves and to have those support things and much more difficult for others to access them. And so I think that's a really that's an area that I think the well-being, let's call it the industry, really is needing to point towards to make sure that this is accessible and available to everybody in all situations.
0: So in hearing you talk about that reckoning just now as well, it, it strikes me that there's um mindfulness as a practice, right, to separate it from just productivity for a moment, but mindfulness as a practice of self-inquiry, of, of seeing seeing your thoughts, of, of being able to not only slow down, but be more intentional and less reactive would also be a central component of that reckoning, right, of an awareness of self in the world and positionality so that you might Practice more compassion, more empathy be more intentional in the way that you interact with others the way you lead as you were just talking about lead people from other regions from diverse backgrounds right Le- things of that nature so the I guess what I'm driving at is that there's a self awareness part to all of that it starts with that self awareness and mindfulness can be a core and I would recommend as a, as a core component you know of that. I have a question for you Connor so in reading uh, i mean i you know, I love mindfulness. I know Bridget does. I've We've had workshops on on mindfulness. My father teaches mindfulness, right? At things of this nature. And I know you and I, Connor, have talked about it. So, but I wanted to quote this article. It's actually a Forbes article, but I want you to kind of, if you could speak to this, because we highlighted the problem, right? And you highlighted a good part of what the benefits are. So I just want to like kind of, compartmentalize it, I should say, crystallize it for the listeners with this quote, right? Increased meditation practices and research in the last decade show that mindfulness practices contribute to well-being at work, lead to happier, healthier, more productive employees, that mindfulness slows the heart rate, brainwave patterns are slowed, that it boosts our immune system, our cardiac functioning, right? that And that we live less stressful lives with fewer health problems, improved relationships, and just overall longer lives. In addition to the fact that we have a sharper focus, dampened stress, and it raises our clarity and decision-making. I mean, talk about a lot of benefits, right? So if you could then, can you connect mindfulness and productivity as the core idea that, and paint it like a picture of what does life look like for me as like an executive, right? As an employee bringing what sounds like a, a different kind of mindset to my day. Could you, could you break that down?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great, great quote. You said, it's like, I don't know if, if they, when you read the, you see those commercials in the U S for, for some <laughs> allergy drug and then they're like side effects, side effects may include yes. <laughs> side effects. May include. Lowered heart rate, increased happiness, better interpersonal relationships, more calm and stability, a longer life, longevity. Uh, sounds good. I don't want that at all. I that's horrible. I'll take that. I'll take that bill. That sounds good. So yeah, I think, yeah, when I think about mindfulness, I think about awareness, right? And that's what it comes down to. Mindfulness is a state of, of awareness, and it's often this state where we are aware and also in a way which is curious and open and kind. So we all have this ability to be mindful. We can do it in this moment. And that's separate from meditation, right? I think your listeners know this well. You practice meditation to develop the skill of mindfulness. You can also practice meditation to develop other skills of compassion. You can develop other skills of, of more introspective awareness. So I often just want to parse those out. Because then I like, okay, mindfulness and meditation... We can be mindful in any given moment. Now, when I think about productivity, I'm really thinking about how, how effective am I? Not how efficient am I? Not how have I optimized how quickly I can respond to all of my emails? Not how much I can get done, but what I need to get done. And a lot of this, you know, I bring people back to this, this sort of Pareto's principle, often known as sort of the 80-20 rule which is that 80% of our results usually come from about 20% of our inputs. And this is a really helpful mental model, which we're aware of. People know it on a cognitive level, but we don't often practice it because we, we wake up and what do we do? Most of us check the phone, check a couple of emails, right? We do a few things, you know, we jump into the workday without ever giving a pause to think, where is my highest contribution going to be today? Or- even what do I need to do for myself before I open up my phone so that I can be, you know, the highest service, the most effective person. So I think a lot of this productivity stuff, when you read about it, like life hacks, it's, it's all just really like getting you better at just like reacting to the world around you. Mindfulness isn't about reacting. It's more about responding, being able to actually be measured and stable in how you respond to the world. And so when I blend them together and I, you know, if you take it in a practical level, I think every day, you know, when you wake up before you kind of open up the world of sensory inputs, whatever that is, your New York times, your podcast, your emails, whatever that is taking five minutes to find some practice, maybe some breathing exercises, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's just having a cup of tea or coffee with no distractions and getting kind of in touch with yourself. And I think is so important. We just rush through our days and we just immediately start reacting. So I think that's a really practical way to connect the two. And then I often, often when I work with people and I work with teams, we practice what's called the highlight. Now the highlight is drawn from make time, which is a real simple framework for making time for what matters. It's one of the, the frameworks that I teach. There's a great book written by my friends, Jake and John, uh, so you can check that out on online, I'm sure. But the highlight is a real mindful approach to being productive. Instead of starting the day with 50 things on your to-do list, you pick one thing. You think, what's one thing above all else that I really want to kind of prioritize, bring my best energy and attention to? This can be a work thing. You know, this might be something you've been putting off or something that is really urgent and you know if you don't finish it by five o'clock, you're going to feel terrible. Or this can be something else, and then I encourage people to really be proactive in defining when are they going to do that. So mindfulness really helps because mindfulness helps you develop awareness of your body and your energy. And so as you start to get a sense of like, when am I at my best? Am I like an eight a.m. to eleven a.m. type of guy or girl? Am I more like a three or four p.m.? And getting some sense and bodily awareness of the energy, combining it with being effective at prioritizing and saying, okay, what's the one thing combining those things? That's where you start. where mindful productivity. where kind of like the rubber hits the road. And that's a, really, like, that's a really simple ask of people. Choose one thing every day that you protect. The highlight, we say it's 60 to 90 minutes on your calendar. So it's doable for everybody. We're not saying you need six hours a day. Most people don't have that schedule it in your calendar, protect it, do it at the time when you're most kind of energetic, focused, when you're most alive. And that's how you really start to put some of these things like the 80-20 rule into effect. Because what can happen if you're not being mindful, you just fall into these sort of default autopilot modes and you start doing something important and your attention gets moved on to emails and then you've lost the morning. So there's many other tactics about single tasking, about checking in with yourself throughout the day, but I think the two that can really bring them together really concretely for people is find some way in the morning before you let other inputs come in to just check in with yourself, see if there's something in that check in which is like this really feels alive, like I I want to do this today, I need to do this, and then to bring that into the more productivity side is put that time aside, put it on your calendar and protect that. Consider that, you know, that meeting with yourself, that most important thing with yourself. I think a lot of us, we might've put something on our calendar, then a meeting gets scheduled, then we just accept it. But you got to just remember your most important kind of ally in this journey is yourself, right? At the end of the day, you've got to look <laughs> and in the reflection and be like, did I, did I really do what I knew I, what I know I needed to do? And so setting those boundaries can be really, really helpful for people
1: outstanding suggestions. I couldn't agree more. And I was really struck by what everything you just said and the articles that you read, it's all coming together for me in new ways. And we coach people on these concepts a lot, but I think we always need to be deepening our own practices and our own understanding to help others. And one thing, kind of an analogy that came to me that I'm curious w- about what you think about it is mindful eating. So I do a little bit of weight loss coaching, some of my trainings and weight loss coaching, and we're always talking about, you know, not When people are busy, they'll just eat food, and then after you don't even remember that you ate it because you just rush through it and then you get back to work, right? But it's we're talking about the same thing with our work projects, and I don't think I've really made that connection at a very deep level until you shared what you just shared, Connor. That, like, I can for me, for instance, you know, I'm doing all these retreats right now, Todd and I lead virtual retreats, and I just did one. And I needed like a whole day to sit down and plan this retreat. It was really important retreat for this whole leadership team. And it was a half-day retreat. And just as you said, the emails came in and other requests for other work came in. And then I was like, oh, sure, I'll reschedule a coaching session on the day that I was supposed to have the whole day to plan this retreat. And so I didn't protect that so that I could mindfully sit down and think about this all-important experience that I wanted this leadership team to have in this retreat. And that's mindful productivity. It's about the quality and the focus and the flow that you get into when you're working on that one thing that you've committed to without disruption from the 10,000 things from the, you know, the doubt, you know, it's always the 10, is it the 10,000 things, you know, that are going to come at you. And so, you know, there, I think we can draw analogies. I think we can look at what is that one project that we didn't allow that to happen in. And, and what was the, like, for me, I ended up working on that late at night, the night before that retreat and the retreat still went really well. You know, I pulled it all together, but But looking back, I didn't do what you're saying and protect that time that I knew it really was going to take like a good day. And I wanted to be in flow and like, think about these people I was going to be working with and their differences. And they had already done like a personality assessment ahead of time. And I wanted to look at their results and think about how that, what that meant for what we're going to talk about. And so I'm just trying to give a kind of a concrete example and an analogy. What do you think about that, Connor? Does that resonate at all for what you teach?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I do that all the time still. <laughs> I sit down, I'm like, great, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I get pulled away. So like a huge, uh, people often often ask, right? okay, there's one thing that I can, you know, start practicing like right away. Like, well, I mean, my biggest, <laughs> the biggest life act is self-compassion in some sense. The almost the most difficult thing for all of us is to treat ourselves when we have those days. With some kindness and some respect, so it's like you have this day, Bridget. and I just want to tell you, look, it's not a big deal. Like it happens. Like you still got it done. Like you're you're trying your best. Like you know, don't worry. Next time, next time, maybe we can like think about ways that we block some of those distractions. But then in my own head, if I do that to myself, by the end of the day, I'm like, <laughs> I am an idiot. Like I, I can't be that. And it's like we're so easy to just give someone else that mm-hmm. that that comfort and respect. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important. And I think you know, when it comes to to mindful productivity and self-awareness, part of it is self-awareness is painful at first, okay? (laughs) Because sometimes you're unaware of of your actions and then you find yourself with a hand in the cookie jar after lunch eating the third cookie. This is not a real life example, okay? Maybe it is. And you think, wait a second, like, I don't want this, right? And like, this isn't what I want. And then there's many times going forward where (laughs) you're eating that sweet and you're thinking, I don't want this, but it's so delicious. And it's the same thing with work, right? And there's so much, you know, in our inbox, in LinkedIn, on Twitter, there's a lot of dopamine inducing goodies on the web. And part of mindful productivity is first becoming self-aware of our own, you know, our values, what we want, our purpose, and setting goals and things on that. But another step is also, what are, what's my weak spot? In make time, the book I mentioned, we call this your kryptonite or your distraction kryptonite. It's kind of like Superman, right? Powerless in front of kryptonite. It's like, I'm this, I was the same way with the New York Times last year. It's like any moment, if there's a screen by me, I'm checking the front page to see what's going on in COVID news. And then as you become aware of it and you start to go, this is not the behavior I want, then there's the suggestion of what can I do? And so what I love about this field of, if we can call it that, of mindful productivity, is there's a lot of, lot of people playing in this space and figuring out new ideas. And quite a simple one is, I've just, you know, many people have done this with me too, is there's no New York Times app on my phone. And once the app was gone, I was still looking at it on Safari. So I go into Safari and I put New York Times on the blocked website list. So now, every time I want to just get a quick little dopamine hit because my brain is feeling like it wants a little distraction, a little something, it's no longer there. And then I have to have that mindful pause where it's like, take a breath and it's like, okay, I'm supposed to be planning this leadership retreat. I'm feeling, what am I feeling? I'm feeling a bit of, I don't know, maybe I'm afraid, afraid that this exercise, this new thing is not going to work out. And what's that like? And turning towards that and recognizing, hey, that's okay. That fear is trying to help me prepare well, and you're welcome in this, and, and then returning to the work. And there's a, this self-awareness is a painful journey. That's, it's not as calming and as comforting as you see in someone sitting on a mat meditating quietly. It's often a many, many years of, of kind of all this ugly stuff coming up and you kind of having to go, here I am. Eating that cookie again, what am I doing? Like, come on. And uh over time it changes, right? Over time, those urges they soften, new behavior patterns emerge. Our brain is incredibly plastic. And with awareness, we can do that. So it's amazing you're working on, on a sort of healthy eating. I think mindfulness with regards to eating is just such a powerful practice. A great thing I recommend during the day for people to do lunch without any screens, even if you only have 20 minutes. I mean, it can just absolutely change the quality of your day, the energy you come back after the break with, instead of shoveling down a, a bowl of pasta while you know scrolling through Instagram, which you know I've been guilty of doing too.
0: <laughs> There's so much wisdom, right, in, in in what the two of you well, this discussion, you know, the, the ideas being offered, I heard you talking so much about it, Connor, and then Bridget, you gave it an actual word and something that i'm always striving towards and you know love it when i achieve it and you know sometimes can be quite quite distant and fleeting which is this idea of flow and flow in this this state of flow that as i said when you experience it and time sort of stops and just kind of evaporates into the unknowable the great unknowable because you're so immersed and um in a positive way just so In whatever it is you're doing, you've given yourself so to the moment and to the person or to the project or to the meal, right? Or to, I mean, even to the workout, to the hike, right? So then what I hear you saying, Connor, in all of this with mindful productivity is knowing yourself so well that you know the ways that you use the word hacks, but you know the different ways to put yourself in a state to take actions, to put yourself in a state of, flow or get as close as possible so that innovation and creativity and, you know, can rise and, you know, stress and self-doubt and, you know, all the ruminating thoughts can sort of dissipate, but to know yourself well enough and to have very real practices in place to play, put yourself there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, flow is this elusive, I feel like, fleeting feeling that I think many of us are familiar with and we we chase after. And it's, you know, again, I, I refer back to, to make time because it's a framework I'm familiar with. We call this, this idea of getting into laser focus. And it's kind of like flow-esque, right? Where you're just in this, this kind of absorbed attention state. And what we talk about in laser is the, is the most important thing I think that we can do when it comes to creating the conditions for that is to create more barriers to all the things that are going to distract us and this is i think where where yeah the behavioral science and research is is becoming more and more clear is that habits are formed more so out of environment than out of willpower or intention like james clear has this wonderful quote which is we don't we don't rise to the level of our intentions we fall to the level of our systems our systems are like our routines the way that we set things up and so a big part of mindful productivity is is having that kind of assessment of, yeah, like Todd, like, you know, when do you feel the best and what gets you pulled off? And then what does it look like to create conditions that are just going to be more conducive? It's not going to mean that you're going to wake up every day and have two hours of flow. You're just writing prose and it's beautiful. Work is ugly, right? And I'm loving this idea. This, it's called the rule of thirds from uh, Alexi Pappas. She's an Olympic athlete or runner. She has this book, called bravey i think i have i have it right behind me here look i think i think it's stacked underneath me she's fantastic so she's a filmmaker olympic athlete and and she was told she was training for the rio summer olympics in 2016 and she was just having like bad days and her coach also an olympian was like no this is the rule of thirds and she was like what and he said yeah when you're going after a big goal when you're doing something daring or great you're meant to feel." Good a third of the time, okay, a third of the time, and pretty crappy a third of the time. And I think that applies to this flow because I set up my life as best as I can. I try to make sure that I have all these conditions, but sometimes I sit down to write my newsletter or an article and it's ugly, but it's also appreciating that that's all part of the process. Anyone that's doing great things recognizes and becomes okay with that. And I think that's where the mindfulness piece comes in because instead of Being critical and being like, I'm not in it. Like, it's not happening for me today. It's a, it's a, oh, like, let me turn towards this with some curiosity. And let me just be open to that. And then let's see what happens. And then at the end of it, the hour is up, the time is done. You've put in what you've put in, and then you move forward, right? And it's about being engaged and present. And, and then often just letting the past be the past and you kind of move forward. So I often I think as someone who I was, I was, I was a little upset when I was, when I first heard about flow and I was trying all the time and I was like a day, a month, I felt like I was in that. And then I was like, wait, as I started to realize, look, it's about the conditions and the systems and making sure you give yourself the best possible outcome. And then recognizing that you're only going to be on fire a third of the time, but you got to be, you've got to be loving the crappy time too, because that's just as important. It's the opposite side of the same coin, right?
0: the Olympian, you know, I was thinking of Sean White. I love snowboarding, right? And and it's, you know, if, if you're going to go do, and, I, and I'm very much into, you know, extreme and action sports. And one of the things that's fascinating about it is an athlete's ability to manage their emotions when they're staring down such, you know, like you've you've waited for this moment. And for, to do it, you said it happened, you know, a third, a third, a third, when why we are so in awe, at least myself I could speak for, but it seems like why we watch the Olympics, why we're so in awe is that, that someone could do that once is impressive, that you could show up four years later, four years, you know, eight years later, 12 years, and do it over and over and over again just speaks to the ability to control, not just discipline yourself in all of these, you know, athletic ways, but to control and discipline your mind in a way that could have you show up and be that, Present and in that state of flow to like say stomp, stomp that half pipe, like you know, like Sean White would do in just an, in an in, in over and over, so yeah, I hear you connor it's that's so well said, the thirds, I've never heard it put that way.
1: I really want to touch on one part of that for our listeners, especially because I think that for people like the three of us who do what we do and do a lot of public speaking and training, people have this misconception like, oh, you're just naturally positive and you're always happy. People will say that to me, right? And I think... I think sometimes the opposite, like I have very, very dark moments. Todd's been there with me, like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. You know, we all as human beings have our dark, dark moments of doubt and fear. And now I'm not an extreme sports person, so I'm not going to be the one putting myself at the top of the snowy mountain to you know steep. I like the moderate (laughs) runs and things like that. But, but life gives us enough of that anyway, doesn't it? Right. We've all had so many challenges, especially in this last year. I just want to acknowledge for everyone listening that we're, that what Connor just said about the thirds is such a useful, I think, concept for all of us. And as I'm, I'm coaching people and coaching myself. I'm trying to feel out like, where are you? Do you need, sometimes people need that help and support. Like, I want to get to a more positive place. I want to work with my thoughts, you know, to think differently, to shift my mindset. And sometimes people just need me to sit there with them while they cry and I'm happy so happy and so honored to do that when people trust me in holding that kind of space, right? And so it's, and that's the thirds that you're talking about is how we need to be there for ourselves and be there for others depends on where we are in those thirds. And also since we're talking about working productivity, like see if when you're in that really low third and you're in a dark space, can you just let yourself off the hook? Because I've had days where I had committed I am gonna get this done today. And it just felt like crap for whatever reason and really looked at what I had committed to that day and saw that, you know what, I can do it tomorrow or I can do this piece of it. I can manage to do this piece of it or I can ask for help or I'm gonna reach out to Todd and be like, Todd, can you help me with this today? And Todd's like a rock star, and he's always like, yes, I can do that. You know, rely on each other. We're human, we need each other and we need to be honest about where we are, I think is part of what we're talking about. What do you think, Connor?
2: I got a lot of goosebumps. I'm feeling just like resonance, resonance with that. And yeah, I mean, last year I started my business. I left Google on February 28th. Todd and I were very luckily in Sao Paulo two weeks before it was the, I got to go to the very opening party weekend of Carnival and there's 5,000 people in a room. And then we came back and the whole world just went woof, and I'd left Google to start this company. And this is what i what I've been helping people do right is to to find that sustainable approach to to their lives right to caring themselves taking care of their work and and last year was just a roller coaster and I like especially I got to November December They were dark months literally and figuratively here in london couldn't see anybody we were on lockdown for six weeks we had to cancel christmas plans like everything was just And I had a lot of those days when I was like, it was December 14th. And I was thinking, I pictured my head how I'm going to finish off the year. I'm going to like, everything's going to be done. My invoices, like my website's going to be finally updated. Like I'm just going to, like I I had done this in previous years. Like I felt good and I'm going to end the year on a high note. There was no high note there. It was just days of just like, just getting through it. And I had to, you got to practice that self-compassion and, and recognize too that, we're humans, right? And it's like, I think that that's one of the lessons that I think Google really gave to me, which is, you know, for the most part, I think that's a radical approach to how Google looked at as employees, is it's like humans, right? It's not just robots, right? And and it takes a lot of different things to fuel us up. And I think last year with with the disconnection, the isolation, the fear of of health and safety, these things weigh on us in, in huge ways. And I had many days when I was like, wait, I'm I'm supposed to be like able to get into flow. I'm supposed to be able to to be on top of things and to stick to the schedule. And it just doesn't happen. And so there's also that that kind of letting yourself off the hook as you put it so nicely and just recognizing that we're in this marathon, right? Like we've got to some we've got to recognize sometimes when we just gotta like let the foot off the gas. So like you know, this analogy that I often use especially when I work with startup founders, you know, that's when I worked at Google, I worked a lot with this team called Google for startups, which is where Todd and I kind of met. And, and I worked a lot with, with people growing companies when they're 10, 20, 30 people and they're just pedal to the metal. And the analogy I always use is like, look, you are flying down the highway and you have your foot on the gas and your dashboard is blinking. You need to pull over and get some gas. And you're just totally ignoring that. I go, what happens in a mile or five miles or 10 miles or a kilometer, five kilometers, 10 kilometers over here. And, and that's what I think a lot of us are doing too. And that's what I think as that, one of the the core principles at the heart of mindful productivity is recognizing that like, you got to pull over and like, you got to give yourself these breaks and you have to, you really have to balance the doing part of being human and the being part of being a human, which is space and comfort and relaxation and softness and quiet and and it's just we don't it's hard in our world we're so obsessed with doing and performing in public and showing every, everyone what's happening and being our positive best selves and I think this conversation of just like look like we're all struggling in or not we're teaching this talking about it like the only reason I teach and talk about this is because it helps me on my own journey like there's no mastery on this level, right? I'm just, I'm sharing, trying to figure this out, testing things, sharing them, learning from people in the process. So there's there's no one, if anyone's telling you that they it's all buttoned up and they're perfect, they're trying to sell you something, we walk away, we're all perfect.
1: That's it. Right? And it's not it's a so good well selling said. technique Go because God, what I love so about <laughs> no. one of the gifts of COVID, although it's been, of course, heartbreaking and tragic is, being real with each other. We're struggling. We've had so much loss and devastation and everybody's feeling that need to connect on a real human level. So, you know, when you said they're trying to sell you something, if they're saying they're perfect, they're not even selling you. They're not doing good sales job because people want that real human connection now. Todd, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, whether you're a, a company, right, an organization or an individual with your own organization or an individual within an organization, right, that what you just said there, Connor, about screaming down the highway and, you know, the lights, the dashboard is flashing, you know, I think of this great, I call, some other people refer to it, I like the, the phrasing of like this great pause, the great pause that we experienced and that you just described in the last year that was almost like, you know, some would argue, you know, society itself screaming down the highway and needed to take a pause and you know really this virus this this pandemic Forced it. And, you know, when you were talking about, I was thinking of the old, I'm playing Nintendo with my kids again because we got a, a Nintendo Switch, right? And there's an old video game called Excite Bike where, you know, where you would drive this motorcycle down the track and you could go one speed, but you could go faster if you push the other button. And when you push that other button, when you push B, you get a different sound. It's like it goes from wall to wall, right? But if you hold B for too long, computer makes you pull over. It just forces it. You're not allowed to go anymore, right? And so to your point, Connor, that I think that's what happened. We were forced, right, to pull over and slow down. And so now we got to ask ourselves, what do we take? What's the lesson? What's the gift? What do we do now with this hopefully heightened awareness of both self and, and the world around us and how we're operating in it? So is there like, you, we threw a lot at you today, listener, like, you know, we we broke down a, a, a significant problem from multiple facets, right? And then Connor provided so much solution and uh, so, so many solutions and exercises and, and suggestions and backing, right, for how to put this into practice and, and what it would look like. So now I'm going to challenge him to just, you know, Connor, if I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm going like, man, you know, that sounds pretty great, you know, they it sounds like they do these things and but where do I where do I start? Like, what's the starting point? What would you say to our listeners? Where do they start?
2: Yeah, there's many, uh, many roads all leading to the same destination. So I think if if anything, when you're listening to this conversation and you're like, oh, I, I'm excited about meditation, or I heard Connor mention journaling or 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 any of these other things, I think follow that excitement. I do think one of, the, one of the big but simple ideas that I think has, has just changed how I look at my days and how I organize my life is this idea of a highlight. And I'll just break it down within a bit more tactical terms so people really know how to use it, right? And when I think of the highlight, it's just this one big thing, right, that you're putting at the center of your day. So tonight, if you're listening to this on your after dinner walk, or it's the morning and you're going out for a little stroll, you can just ask yourself, what do I want to be the highlight of my day? And you can pick that with many different strategies. It can be something urgent that needs to get done. It can be something that you really just want to spend time on, something that's going to feel, like, feel satisfying to have devoted some energy towards. And it can also be something that's going to bring you a lot of joy. So those are kind of three strategies that we recommend: is like joy, satisfaction, and, and urgency. And I like to say, sixty to ninety minutes is this magical window. Sixty minutes because if it's shorter than that, you don't get a chance to get into that mythical flow state, right? If it's just a ten-minute task, it's not gonna it's not gonna feel that sense of accomplishment. And there's a a real boost that you can get when you when you finish or you devote the time and it's a good chunk of time. And less than 90 minutes because really our energy and attention, the research shows, really plummets for most people after 90 minutes. And in the real world, I don't know many people that have uninterrupted chunks of three or four hours on their calendar, so 90 minutes is realistic. And I like to just tell people, you know, choose with your gut when you're thinking about this and think, okay, what, what, would really, what could be the highlight of my day? Is it, is it, should it be a work thing? Maybe it's finishing work at six so I can cook a really beautiful dinner for my family. Choosing that as your highlight, it still allows you to structure your day. You're gonna finish your day with a bit more gusto and you're gonna be more attentive. And I think it's not just about getting this one thing done. It's also about savoring and enjoying and putting your attention towards what matters most to you. So just like this, this kind of example of mindful eating, right? Where you're actually, you're not just eating, but you're enjoying the process. The highlight can be that same thing where you can say, I'm just going to really enjoy this hour, hour and a half that I'm devoting to something that I, I care about. And it's not going to be the only thing that you have to get done in that day. There's no one in the world that just has one task and they can call it a day. So you still, you still can have your to-do list, but it, it frees you from the tyranny Of the to-do list which continually adds more things it's never done the highlight can give this this really nice sense of of it's achievable it's realistic but when you start doing it day after day and you start devoting that little bit of time you take this one percent step right continuous improvement every day just kind of chipping away at something so You're probably going to pick a highlight which is way too big to finish in an hour and a half. You're going to say, "I'm going to finish the slides for my team meeting," and you're going to. The 90 minutes will get up. Don't beat yourself up. You know this might take a couple of highlights, and you're going to right size it over time. It's about the way that you approach it, and I think it's one of the biggest things that I've I've seen make such an impact on people's lives in two or three days. And it just allows that sense of like, I know what matters to me, and I'm spending some time on it. It's just, it feels great get, and you get stuff done and it's just a magical thing. So the highlight I think is what I'll, I'll leave people and I'll challenge with, if you're listening to this is, is pick one, give yourself 60 minutes, put it on your calendar. So you you know, when and where you're going to do it. That's a huge, huge piece of it. We're much more likely to do things if we know when and where we're going to do them. That's a lot of research on that. And if you don't get it done, if it, if it's a crap day and it, it just doesn't happen, just don't worry about it just let it go and if you miss three days don't sweat it just try it again and just come back to it it's just like mindfulness is this practice of of distracted and then aware distracted and then attentive this is the same thing you you miss your good habit forget about it just come back to it so that's my my challenge is to choose a highlight do something that's going to give you some satisfaction some joy one big thing every day and take it one day at a time. So, yeah, I hope that is a a bold enough challenge for your listeners.
1: It's huge. I love it and I commit to you Connor, I'm committing out loud that every day this week I'm going to pick a highlight. And I also just want to say I love the name. I love that you call it a highlight. It has such a positive feeling. Like today my highlight is going to be this and tomorrow my highlight is going to be this. And I think that you know, tricks the brain in a way to look forward to it, right? And I'm sure that's intentional. I'm sure you did that on purpose, right? Yeah.
2: 100%. And uh, the real challenge will be only pick one thing a day because I know every listener, Every listener's first question is, could I pick two highlights? <laughs> maybe maybe just three or four. So the challenge is try, try one and give yourself something attainable. So yeah, check out Make Time is the book that talks more about it. It's not not my book. I don't make any money off the sales of that. So don't worry. This is a a good recommendation though, worth if the idea spurs you on to check that one out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but we do want to know, Connor, how people can find you. I think if I were a listener, I think you're going to say the same thing, Todd. I'd be saying, I want to know how I can bring this guy into my company to teach us more about all of this. Or I want to work with him one-on-one or where do I find him? So tell us, tell us, please.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm easy enough because I'm Connorswenson.com. So you can see everything on my site. I send out a weekly newsletter called 1% Wisdom. That's all about this idea, like 1% improvement every day. I'm not pretending to be a wise person, but it's just interesting idea every week that can help you on this continual path of self-improvement. So you can find my newsletter. And then I'm pretty active on Twitter and, and LinkedIn and you search my name, you'll, you'll find me there. No problem. And so yeah, my, my site tells you all about the programs I offer and and what I do. So if any, anyone's interested, they can give that, give that a Google and, and have a look. So yeah, I appreciate you asking.
0: Yeah. Well, Connor, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, you know, I know, I know Bridget did as well. The value that I said at the start, we're always trying to bring as much value as possible and bring people on who can offer a new take on something we're experiencing. Just try to shift our perspective and give us a challenge to rattle us a little bit. And like, you kind of just said, move us 1% just a little bit further, make a little bit of progress, a little bit of growth, which is what, what we're all about, right? Asking the right questions so we can get there. So, you know, what is mindful productivity and, and how can I practice it? How can I embody it? How can I experience its benefits? We certainly, I think we did a great job of answering that question. And Connor, thank you so much for sharing this you know, with everybody. I I encourage all of you uh, listening to to really take the challenge to heart to put it into practice in some way, follow the feeling, follow the thing, the curiosity that turns you on from anything that we were discussing today. And you know, if you want to and should certainly want to seek out Connor and his ideas further, be sure to, to sign up for that newsletter. This month they're offering uh, uh, resilience and change Webinar that we encourage you to to come and be a part of. It's right in keeping with things that we've been discussing here today and that we often bring up on the podcast. We know a lot's changing, as Connor said, and we've talked about today. A lot of things are uncertain and will remain uncertain as we you know navigate returning to work and uh, having having some of us still be be at home. So with that being said, thank Connor. Thank you so so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, Connor. Thank you. What a beautiful conversation. Thank you. I appreciate
2: you both. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. And Bridget, as always, this was a pleasure. You know, till next time, be good people and make good choices. See you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Right Questions podcast. We hope this episode sparked something that fuels your own inquiry and transformation. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't
0: already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app.
1: If you want to learn more about the work we do and how it can benefit you, check out our website, SampsonCoachingAndConsulting.com. And connect with me on Instagram at The Bridget Sampson. And
0: you can find me at Todd Parker Official. We'll catch you next week. Until then, dare to ask the right questions.